This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, at five past midnight last night, the Northern Ireland Assembly ceased to exist. It wasn't being used anyway because the DUP were boycotting it. It means that sometime later today, we're now on 11 o'clock Friday morning, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Chris Heaton-Harris, a right-wing Tory, will announce elections that will be held on the 15th of December. These elections will achieve nothing because nothing substantial will have changed. But that's where the Northern Ireland Protocol issue is. And it's fair to say that it probably isn't a priority for the new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. We're joined from London now by Chris Johns, former Chief Economist of the Bank of Ireland and now a respected commentator. This, Chris, looks like another, well, the Northern Ireland thing is a legacy issue, which probably best be pinned on Boris Johnson, who lied to the DUP, to the Irish government and to the British people and signed a deal with the EU containing promises that were never honoured or never intended to be honoured. It doesn't look as if Northern Ireland is going to be a priority for this government. That's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, it really is a priority for the British government in in recent years, at least, and arguably for much longer. Um, And if it ever is a priority, it doesn't last very long. That's the history, the sad history of this. And if, if nothing else, the election buys this government another six weeks where it doesn't have to think about Northern Ireland. Um, and it will hope that something turns up in the interim. There, There is a, maybe it's forlorn, but there is a hope that the negotiations with the EU, which sort of trundle along in the background, will produce something of a workable compromise. But with the, the DUP and the moods that it appears to be in, um, nothing other than the um, full implementation of the of the bill that as it trundles its way through the British Parliament will seem to be good enough. So there, there appears to be a train wreck out there, 
um, once this bill does go through Parliament and the DUP insists on its intransigence. But between now and then, I suspect, as you say, that Rishi Sunak is not thinking about this very hard. And to the extent that he is, he's going to hope that something turns up that solves his dilemma for him. Now, he also let it be known yesterday that he will not attend COP27. And we're all aware of the dangerous, the peril, really, of global warming, but it's not on his agenda and he won't attend. What we also learned, and there's a revelation in this morning's Guardian, is that at his first leader's questions on Wednesday, the new prime minister may have misled, if not outright lied, to the House of Commons on the question of Suella Braverman's troubles, which are that she breached security and had been dismissed from the government by Liz Truss. Six days later, the new Prime Minister Rishi Sunak brought her back into government as Home Secretary, and she is now believed by some to have lied, and to have lied repeatedly about a security breach. Yeah, one of the things that appears to have uh, happened, or at least is alleged to have happened, is that the story presented to the House of Commons by Sunak, and therefore Braverman herself, is that when she realised that she had breached the ministerial code, she brought the attention of um, the necessary authorities to to this fact and promptly resigned, did the honourable and correct thing, followed due process. It is being alleged that, in fact, uh, it was the other way around, that she was yes. confronted by Simon Case, uh, is one suggestion, uh, the cabinet secretary, the head of the civil service, with the facts of her um, breach of, of cabinet protocols, and um, was forced to resign. Um, where the truth lies, of course, remains to be seen. I, I wasn't there. Um, the, Labour is demanding an inquiry. Um, Keir Starmer apparently is briefing all of his front bench and anybody else that is going to appear in the media on behalf of Labour to keep mentioning, keep hammering away at the grubby deal that was done by Sunak, allegedly again. Um, alleg <laughs> the allegation, of course, is, is, is Keir Starmer's that Sunak bought uh, Braverman's vote and anything, any other votes that she brought with her in exchange for making her Home Secretary again one week after this resignation. Uh, it, 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 it is an extraordinary series of events. Even with, if those allegations are untrue, the mere fact that this Home Secretary was back in place a week after resigning for a very serious breach uh, a breach which has been accompanied by other mutterings that there were that she has lost the trust of MI5, for example, has been prominently alleged in the media because of she is known apparently again as Leaky Sue, the yeah. um, ex-chairman of the Tory Party has said that there were other instances of leaks. Um, so there, there's lots of noise swirling around this, and it's not a story that's going to go away in a hurry. Um, the, the mood of the Tory party, of course, is to unite behind Sunak at the moment and not to cause trouble. So it's noticeable that somebody from within the Tory party, this chap Jake Berry, this, this ex-chairman of the party, is causing trouble when the, the zeitgeist at the moment is to try and present this unified 
front um, after after the events of the last few weeks and indeed years. So I think this one is going to be is 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 going to swirl and go and and stay with us for a while. Yeah, I mentioned the Guardian report this morning, which is long and comprehensive. The Daily Mail that may give the impression that we're following the Guardian, which would be hostile to a Tory government anyway. The Daily Mail, which most certainly wouldn't be hostile to the Tory party, have also brought their guns and trained them on Miss Braverman, saying, as you've just told us, that the leak inquiry raised concern with MI5 when she was Attorney General. This is before she was ever Home Secretary. This is her previous job. Now, what appears to be happening is, first of all, when you breach the ministerial code or when you mislead parliament, that's a sacking offence. But she's been not behaving properly in her ministries for quite some time. But Rishi Sunak appears to want to get her on side. She's a member of the European Research Group. She's a hard right Brexiteer. He is a hard right Brexiteer. And he's in this case, and indeed in the fact that he's not going to COP27, he's exhibiting some of the tendencies that he deplored in Boris Johnson. Yeah. That is, shall we say, a casual relationship with the truth, a willingness to mislead the House of Commons at leaders' questions, and to tolerate unethical behaviour in a minister, and in her case, repeated unethical behaviour as Jake Berry, the former Conservative Party chairman, remarks. Yeah, he has been described already as Boris Johnson in a, in a slightly more expensive suit and a better haircut. And there appears to be some truth in that for the reasons that, that you've just suggested. Sunak does have some strange beliefs, at least uh, according to the things that he has said on the stump, according to the things that he is now doing. His opposition to uh, things like wind farms and solar farms is, is extraordinary. And during this environmental crisis, this energy price crisis that we have at the moment, the idea that you wouldn't want to build cheap sources of electricity at a time of energy price crisis, even if you are not an environmentalist. And um, it appears that he neither cares about the price of electricity nor the environment. Um, the decision not to go to COP27 is consistent with that as well. And this is one aspect of his right-wing stance on, on many issues. And it's a peculiar aspect of our current state of affairs that the climate, the environment, is, is political, not just a matter of science, in that, generally speaking, as a generalization, these right-wingers are also climate skeptics. And yes. he appears to be firmly in that camp as well, bizarrely. So th this idea that he is a kinder, gentler, more intelligent version of um, of Boris Johnson, I think, doesn't stand up to, to scrutiny. I, I think that he is, as you say, and, and indeed many others are saying, just another right-winger. I'd actually put, be, be much harsher in my criticisms than that. I think that he is of a particular type, going all the way back to people like David Cameron and George Osborne, just posh boys who have been over-educated beyond their intelligence levels, thanks to the quality of their schooling. And really, they are not just people in expensive suits, they are people in empty suits. There isn't much there, actually, in my opinion. And I think that um, the relief that the country has had, that we now have somebody that doesn't have the, the circus associated with Boris Johnson, that's real. 
the the bluster and the boosterism and the nonsense has gone. And I think that he will get a, a small boost in the polls because of that almost gratitude that he is a boring man. It's been said that we now have a prime minister and a leader of the opposition very similar in one respect, and they're both quite dull human beings. And I think that's absolutely right. But don't underestimate the attractiveness of that to the British people after the years that we've had of this political circus. So I do think that he will get something of a honeymoon, something of a bounce in the opinion polls. Nothing yet, it has to be said, um, because of that dullness. But once we get beyond that uh, feeling of relief that the circus has been shut down, we will realize that we're just in a grinding uh, uh, period of relative and absolute decline that that we've been in for quite some time. The policies that he um, espouses, that he will now implement, will do nothing to arrest British decline. And it will be a, that grinding sense of not much has changed will eventually be his downfall, that he isn't this great strategic thinker that we're all hopeful. He's just the third Tory prime minister in two months. Dominic Grieve, former chair of the Parliamentary Intelligence and Security Committee, a Tory MP who was, in fact, the Attorney General in Britain, said of Miss Braverman's behaviour, it was frankly disgraceful that she had passed on secret material through unauthorised channels. And it appears now that she did that on a number of occasions in two separate ministries. The point I'm getting at before we go on to discuss more serious matters, is the calibre of people that are now in government in Britain. James Cleverly is the new foreign secretary. And Cleverly came out yesterday, Chris, and said of the Qatar World Cup and the many fine examples of people who are protesting at the death of over 6,000 workers who were neglected and more or less were used as forced labor, and the regime's stance on LGBT rights. Cleverly actually said yesterday that gay people visiting the World Cup should endeavor not to embarrass the host nation and to be cognizant of their laws on homosexuality, which are draconian and quite evil, cleverly said it would be wrong to embarrass the host nation. And he said he would be going to the Qatar World Cup if possible. It was a remarkable statement in the House of Commons. I saw it myself. It drew fire from anyone from Gary Lineker to many other people. It was quite disgraceful for a foreign secretary to talk in that way about British citizens or international people who happen not to be heterosexual. It was, as you say, an absolute disgrace, indefensible, and raises questions about why he felt the need to say it. We can ask why he thinks those sorts of things, but an intelligent, capable politician would know. Holding high office, Chris, foreign secretary is a big deal. That even if you believe something to be true, sometimes it is diplomatic, particularly if you are the chief diplomat, not to say it. The fact that it is demonstrably untrue 
um, it, it just puts icing on, on this particular cake. So, I, and I think it raises the question that you asked at the beginning, which is just how competent, just how good at their jobs are these people. And you would have to say that in this particular case, this man is not fit to be foreign secretary when he can say something like that. Um, because it, 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 it reveals a lack of awareness of the world that he is living in, the, the, the environment that, that we, we know that, 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 that um, we, we live in a very changed place from just a few decades ago for uh, LGBT people. And to be making these kinds of remarks in 2022, the only thing I can think of is that it is hard realpolitik in his mind. I'm not saying this is the right way to think about it, but the only thing that I can possibly come up with that would suggest why he thinks this, because I cannot understand any logic, any any sentient human being coming out with something like this in 2022. It's the, the link between Qatar and gas and the, this horrible realpolitik of, of the, uh, Europe, the UK included, in future years is going to um, rely enormously on the supplies of Qatari gas uh, in the absence of Russian gas. And there may well be a link, a horrible link in his mind between what he's saying about human rights um, and this. Um, I certainly hope not. But that, well, the, that, that may, be, may be something at the back of his mind. And the reason that the World Cup is being held in Qatar in the middle of the European football season, which is unprecedented, may also have something to do with unlimited supplies of money delivered to French politicians and did a couple of people in football. But we'll move on. The point, I suppose, to take from all of this is people like Cleverly and Braverman are going to drive the British government and they're not going to do the kind of work required to bring back democracy to the north of Ireland and are unlikely to assist the quest for peace here. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I want to go on, Chris, because you know this better than most, to the economic challenges facing the British government. 
and the relationship between Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor appointed by Liz Truss, and Rishi Sunak, who, of course, made his name as Chancellor. Is it possible for two strong-minded politicians to come to a working agreement on the state of the British economy and on the treatment required? Is that a potential problem, the fact that Hunt is a leading heavyweight politician, came second to Boris Johnson in the prime ministerial race in 2019, how will he feel about our friend Rishi dabbling in his work? And he's had to postpone now his budget until November the 23rd, I think. Yeah, there's uh, several very good reasons why the budget uh, needed to be postponed. It's, it's called the autumn statement now. One of the things that the delay has allowed them to do is to rename it. And so we, we now, it's now official name is, is the autumn statement. And a couple of things flow from that. First of all, it gives them more time to think things through, which frankly they did need. You can't put something like this together. And I speak as somebody that has worked in the Treasury many years ago on budgets. Um, it, it takes a lot of people a long time to put this together properly. And the chances of mistakes, of missing things, of doing something rather silly um, are heightened when you do this massive exercise in a rush. So taking more time is actually sensible sensible economic policy. The second thing, which is quite technical, which it allows them to do, is the way in which the budget watchdog, the official um, budget, the OBR, the Office for Budget Responsibility, and indeed the Treasury themselves, forecast future government spending. A big component these days of government spending is debt interest. And that raises the cost of debt. And the, the convention that they use, I'm sorry if this is a little bit technical, for future interest payments on the debt is that they look at current interest rates, current cost of government debt. And since Sunak took over, that has fallen. So what has been called the moron premium, which was the rise in interest rates, UK cost of government borrowing, it was and is called the moron premium during Truss's reign, has become the boring premium because yeah. uh, Sunak is deemed to be a dull prime minister, which is what the financial markets were hoping for. And so the cost of government borrowing is going down. And the way the timetable works is that if those interest rates are low enough for a, uh, enough period of days, that will reduce the future projections, which means that the fiscal hole is smaller than it would otherwise have been. That's, that's one of the reasons, a very good reason for doing this. So it, it gets them off the hook a bit, not a lot, and enables them to think more seriously about what they're going to do. There's a third reason, which I suspect is, is really exercising this debate between Sunak and Hunt. And I suspect they might be on the same page, but I don't know. And that, what, what are the, how are they going to present the filling in of this black hole? The first thing they're going to try and do is, is say we're going to do it after the election. But the legacy of Liz Truss is that whereas before the, the moron premium became present in British financial markets, they would have gotten away with this. The chances are that they won't now. And what they want to get away with is filling in the black hole after the election, promising to do it after yes. the general election. So they don't have to raise taxes and or cut spending before the election. They, they will be asking each other, do you think we can get away with it now? Do you think we're boring enough 
for us to be able to do what we always hoped to do, which was fill in this hole after the election. That remains to be seen. Another, and then it gets very technical. Can I ask you about the hole? Well, the, the so-called mini-budget that Quasi Quatang came up mm. with, along with Liz Trust, their mini-budget, which caused such havoc in the markets and blew up the British economy with dynamite as well as two careers. The damage that was done in that exercise and the money that the Bank of England had to spend, about $60 billion, I believe, to protect the economy, is that money and that cost, is that gone now or can it be recovered? Or is that, can they write that off? It, it, it all depends. The money that the Bank of England has spent, um, well, technically they won't lose any money because they were indemnified by the Treasury. And it, it's all this, this chicanery going on behind, um, behind the accountants' doors. They, they bought government bonds uh, issued by the Treasury. And so whether or not that money um, turns into a profit or a loss depends when eventually they come to sell those bonds. Yes. And, and um that's just the way it works. It's just like buying and selling apples and oranges or any financial asset. It will depend on what they end up selling them for. So the jury is out on whether it has cost the British taxpayer money or not. At the moment, I suspect they're showing a small profit, actually, because they probably bought them at low prices, and those prices from government debt have risen, which is the same way as saying that interest rates have fallen. Um, but the damage, the damage that has been done by this trust and quasi Quatang is longer lasting. Because it means that we're asking those sorts of questions that I just mentioned, which, which, for example, can we get away with delaying filling in the black hole? They would have stood a much better chance of a positive answer to that question if Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng hadn't done what they've done. Because now financial markets have got a laser beam on these guys in a way that they wouldn't have done otherwise. That, that This would have just been another routine event if the Kwarteng budget hadn't happened. So there is, in a, in a, sense in an immeasurable sense ways in which we can't enumerate very well um, a, a long-lasting legacy of this and that's this laser beam on everything that they're now going to be saying and doing about fiscal policy so it, it'll come down and it will come down to very technical things Eamon for example one of the reasons perhaps the key reason they have a black hole is a self-imposed rule that something called the debt to GDP ratio has to fall over the medium term now, this is this, the amount of money that Great Britain owes, the public sector owes, relative to the size of its economy. Yes. Now, as an economist, I can tell you there's no magic rule here. There's nothing in any economics paper or textbook that tells you what the debt-to-GDP ratio should be. There isn't. We, we just don't know. It, it, it is one of those great areas of ignorance. It's just something self-imposed. Prior to Kuateng and Trust doing what they did, if they simply come out and change that rule and said, well, we're... We don't want it falling over the medium term. We're just going to stabilize it. A simple, very technical, boring change that you and I wouldn't have even noticed, and certainly um, I think the financial markets wouldn't have noticed either, uh, prior to Trust and Kuateng, would have just gone through. If they tried to pull that kind of stunt now, which sounds very geeky, very technical, I don't think the financial markets would let them get away with it. That's the legacy of Trust and Kuateng, is that they boxed them in. Right. into doing austerity too. And that, at the end of the day, is, is the, impl the implication. What uh, Kwarteng and Trust have done to the country, to the, to the ruling party, to the Conservatives, is that they forced them into austerity 2.0,
which it wasn't necessary to do if they hadn't done what they did in the mini budget. Now, I want to come back to our own area of particular interest, which is the Northern Ireland Protocol and the relationship between the European Union and the United Kingdom. And from everything I read from conversations we've had, Chris, on our podcast, the departure from the EU has been expensive for Britain. It has hurt the British economy. And therefore, repairing that relationship should be good for the British economy. Now, it is notable in that context that Sunak, despite appearing more reasonable than Liz Truss in those hustings and those television debates, it would be hard to look more unreasonable. When you look at his record, he is a dyed-in-the-wool Brexiteer from day one. And he believed that it would be better for Britain. It's difficult to have faith in anybody who was so wrong in economic terms. So what is the cost currently to Britain? Can he, as a Brexiteer, whose first and only job at the moment really is to fix the British economy, can he persist with his suspicions and dislike of the European Union? And will that feed over into the endeavours to fix the Northern Ireland Protocol through compromise? Brexit has not been an unmitigated disaster for the economy in the way that some people painted out to be. The sort of numbers right. that we're talking about, produced by independent, non-partisan uh, bodies like the Institute for Fiscal Studies, the of Office of Budget Responsibility itself, say that by the end of this decade, the British economy will be about 4% smaller than it otherwise would have been. That's significant. Um, and it accounts for a large part of the problems that they're currently going through. And the problem is, is with that phrase, smaller than would otherwise have been. If the British economy had been growing strongly at the time of Brexit and had been expected to continue growing strongly, say, historically as per normal through the course of this decade, which would be about 2 2.5% a year, 4% would be painful, it would be unwelcome, but it would be manageable. It wouldn't cause chaos. But the fact is that we started this process, we're taking 4% off something that wasn't growing very much in the first place. And that's, you know, a real problem. It's when a, a jalopy um, that's only firing on three cylinders starts to get um, another problem. The car breaks down rather than a smooth running Rolls Royce that gets a slow puncture. So that's the difference. And so this is an economy that really isn't in a position to withstand that kind of hit to GDP, that kind of hit to exports, which is where it comes from. But then it feeds through into things like investment. One of the most noticeable things about the British economy since the Brexit referendum is not just the trading side with Europe, but it's the amount of money that's being spent on investing in the economy by private businesses. It just right. isn't happening. So the economy is in trouble, big trouble. And one of the reasons why we have this fiscal black hole that we keep talking about the need to fill in is that the economy isn't growing. If the economy is was growing in the way that it should be, it could have been if we hadn't done Brexit, is that the, this hole wouldn't exist, or at least it would be an awful lot smaller. So Brexit is a real problem. And the really, really big problem is that Sunak, according to everything that he has ever said and done, consistently, as you say, believes in Brexit. And Brexit is an economic nonsense. The only 
debate that we're having about Brexit is the size of the damage, the scale of the damage that it's done to the economy. Whether you think it's a small disaster or a big disaster, it's a problem. And he is in denial. And so we still have this fundamental uh, issue facing the country, which is that the people that are leading us are in denial about the problems that, that, that they face. And that means that everything that we've seen in recent years may well not have the circus atmosphere that Johnson gave it, but the fundamental malaise is still here, it's still there. A final question, Chris. Most people believe that Britain needs immigrants to help its economy. Business people in particular, there are vacancies that cannot be filled. And at the same time, Sunak appoints Braverman to be Home Secretary. Braverman's raison d'etre, almost as a politician, is to bring immigration down to the tens of thousands, which is a long way lower than most people who are economically literate believe it needs to be. Can you square his desire to grow the British economy with her desire to keep immigrants out? No, you can't. And this is a particular example of the more general problem is that their objectives, we can all applaud the objective of economic growth, which as Sunak said in his first speech as prime minister um, at the podium outside 10 Downing Street, is that one thing Liz Truss did get right was this desire for economic growth. Every politician everywhere in the world wants economic growth. It's a good thing. And then you start asking the question, well, how are you going to deliver it? What are you going to do? What policy buttons are you going to push? What policy levers are you going to pull? You start by saying, well, we're going to cut immigration. Well, that will cut economic growth. We're never going to reform the planning laws. We're never going to build anything on the green belt in England again. We're not going to allow investment in, in new green technologies like solar and wind farms. That is massively negative for economic growth, irrespective of the environmental consequences. I could go on. There are a list of things that you need to do to deliver your objectives. And it's not that they're just not doing them. They're doing the opposite. Yeah, and it, it, it's a final comment, actually, on the type of person that's in the British government, in the cabinet. James Cleverly, we've dealt with, and his attitude towards LBGT plus people and Qatar covered. Suella Braverman spoke, and I saw this interview, of her dream, which she described as seeing a picture of an aeroplane on the front of the Daily Telegraph flying to Rwanda with a full load of people who had entered Britain. What kind of a person would have that kind of a dream? Not anybody that I think you or I would have any admiration or respect or affection for. Um, I could use lots of <laughs> harder, yeah. harsher, pejorative terms. The, the, these, yes. these are not sentiments that um, suggest these are very nice people. These are not sentiments, actually, that suggest they're very smart people because it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty dumb policy because it, 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 it doesn't work. In practical terms, it is very difficult. In legal terms, there are lots of question marks over it. And it's led to the latest thing, which is that Sunak is now going to Macron asking for help with the, ch with the channel crossings. And that's not a good look for them. They don't like asking the French for anything. And this is what they're having to do again. So it's, it's, uh, it, 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 you can't say anything nice uh, or complimentary about this policy. You're just searching for words to be as 
um, critical as you can without actually using bad language. Okay, and thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Incidentally, James Cleverly, the Foreign Secretary, said he was going to do his best to get to the World Cup in Qatar. Meanwhile, Prince William said he won't be going to England's games in Qatar, and he is a football fan, and I think he has some honorary role with the Football Association. So you have a government that isn't as humane, decent, and savvy as the Prince of Wales, the new Prince of Wales. Thank you very much, Chris, for joining us. Thanks to everyone who listened. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.